Akramada readers. Uh, my name is Ratnaguna, and today I'm going to be talking to a friend of mine, Advaya Chitta, who's been a member of the Tri Ratna Buddhist Order for almost 40 years. He's a clinical psychologist, retired. Uh, he's the author of a book, actually, which uh, I read a little while ago, a very interesting book called Thinking at the Crossroads, a Buddhist Exploration of Western Thought. Uh, it's a very, very good book. And one of the things I got from it is uh, Advaitita's astonishing capacity to read widely, but also think deeply about various issues. Uh, I really admire him for that. Uh, and today, as I say, we're going to be talking about consciousness and rebirth, and I'm very interested in what he's got to say there. Uh, Rebirth for Western Buddhists can be a rather problematical uh, topic because um, not everyone finds it easy to believe in rebirth. Uh, and I think there are probably three options that Western Buddhists take. One is that they, they simply believe it, either because they've always believed in rebirth or they don't find it hard to believe in it. Secondly, they take an agnostic position. Uh, they don't know, how can they tell? Uh, so they're open to the idea, especially because the Buddha taught it. So they're Buddhists, so they're open to the idea, but they won't come down one way or the other. And the third option is to simply not believe it, um, even though the Buddha taught it. Uh, so the way they get around that, I think, is by saying, well, the Buddha may have taught rebirth, but it can under be, under, be understood metaphorically rather than literally, so that every moment is a rebirth, every day is a new rebirth, and so on. So uh, anyway, we're going to talk about um, uh, rebirth in consciousness today with Advaya Chitta. And so over to you, Advaya Chitta, where do you stand on the topic? I very much, well, you say believe in uh, in rebirth. I take it as the logical um, position to take, given the evidence. Yeah. Well, I've long found the scientific, in inverted commas, materialist explanation of consciousness and life to be very lacking. Um, and I started to take rebirth very seriously when I read um, a paper in a psychiatric journal by a guy called Ian Stevenson. This was back in 1977, where he was talking about um, the stories of previous lives given by young children. And that made me think, ah, there is some good evidence about the actual existence of, of rebirth. But long before then, I'd, I'd found materialist explanations of the nature of consciousness to be very lacking. They just didn't add up to me. So it's something I've been thinking about for a long, long time. Yeah. Mm. And it's actually the sort of logic of, of it, which is most important. But actually to get one's mind around it all in a logical fashion is very, very difficult. It's a very difficult topic to talk about, to think about, to conceptualize. Mm. Um, uh, there are two things that I want to ask you out of that. The first one is uh, you say there's some evidence. Do scientists accept that evidence? Is it is it quite strong? 
who do you mean by scientists here, I suppose? Ah. <laughs> I don't know, those guys in white coats out there. <laughs> uh, 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 so there, yeah. Well, I'll say that here, we've widening it out a bit. I think there's two sorts of evidence for rebirth, yes? There's the actual evidence of young children spontaneously talking about a previous life. There's also now some supportive evidence, which is of near-death experiences, which have been investigated very scientifically and which cannot be explained by the materialist position, yeah, which we can go, go into at some point as, as well. Yeah. Um, and I th my perception is, although that for a long, long time, the sceptics have been at the forefront, shall we say, the materialists' of, uh, position has been generally the accepted one. My my perception recently is that that, that is beginning to change. There are more and more people out there beginning to say, ah, we think there's evidence that consciousness cannot be reduced to the functionings of the human brain. Yeah. Mm. So that, you know... Consciousness is is not a material thing, and then that, of course, leads to the possibilities of things like rebirth and out of the body experiences. Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, incidentally, my daughter, when she was very young, hmm. she seemed to be remembering a previous life. She was expressing certain things that didn't happen in this life. Hmm. But hmm. the people you you mentioned, the children that you mentioned, who spoke about previous lives. Has that been corroborated in any way? Because it could just be a, a fantasy. Oh, yes. Well, it's, that's the work of Ian Stevenson very much. Um, he's a, he was a psychiatrist who, who spent many, many years exploring this stuff, going to places all around the world in different cultures um, where he'd heard about children who were speaking similar things. And doing as much work as possible to check to see if there was any evidence to support what the children were describing. Hmm. And the point being, there is often considerable evidence, yeah, that the children talk about something which can later be verified. Yeah. Of course, this is difficult um, stuff to do. We're not talking so much about scientific investigation here. It's more forensic investigation yeah can you describe uh, the, the difference between those forensic two? is like what happens in a for a court of law when a detective is taking people's evidence and looking for further evidence to support it or undermine it yeah um so for example your your uh, a child says its name was you know, say fred Fred Smith in a previous life, and Fred Smith actually died, you know, on a ship in the Atlantic. Then the thing to do is go to see if around that time that the child is talking about, as much as you can um, tell, there was such a ship, and somebody called Fred Smith died on it. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, uh, I remember watching a TV programme many years ago, uh, maybe following Stevenson's um, <laughs> book, uh, but there, there were, I think it was an Indian girl, and she 
explained very clearly, described very clearly a previous life. And they took the girl to where they thought she was talking about. And she remembered, I think, her previous parents Mm. or maybe her children. I can't remember. But they, and when she spoke to them, they they kind of recognised each other. Does that sound right? Yeah, that that's that's quite a common occurrence yeah, uh-huh. in uh-huh. this in this sort of uh, research. Yeah, and uh, mm. we're talking about consciousness and rebirth. And the other thing I wanted to talk to you more about was um, you you talked earlier about the fact that consciousness cannot be tied down to the physical brain, the body, and you talked about near-death experiences giving some evidence, I think, or suggestions of rebirth. Can you say more about that? Yes, indeed. Well, the person to read um, and to study on near-death experiences, I think, is very much Pim van Lommel. He's a Dutch cardiologist who got interested in near-death experiences because patients, some of his patients would have them. And he realised they were very important. And he he decided to do some serious study, scientific study of them. Yeah, And Pim van Lommel, I think, came from a non-religious background. Um, he, he just got very interested in these, in these experiences that people were describing. And he realised that people were describing very extraordinary experiences which had been happening when both their heart had stopped and also their brain activity had stopped. So the question for him was, how can people possibly have experience, you know, very striking um, experiences when their brain isn't functioning? (laughs) Yeah. Mm. And that's, if you like, some very direct evidence that consciousness is not dependent on brain functioning. To a non-scientist like me, that sounds like absolutely um, watertight evidence that consciousness is not tied to the brain. Is that a naive view? Um, oh, well, well, the materialists will try and find ways to undermine it. <laughs> yeah. I, I expect they would argue things like, oh, it, it can't have happened while the brain was um, not functioning. It, it must have happened in the, in the short while before it stopped functioning or maybe when it oh. started functioning again after they were being revived. You know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and, and Van Lobel goes into those arguments and, uh, about that and, 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 you know, doesn't rate them very highly, shall we say. You know, he, mm, mm. He, he's fairly sort of critical of them. Yeah. So he's very well worth... Um, reading or listening to his um, talks. I think they're online talks, Pim Van Lommel, because it's it's very, it is a very careful scientific approach. Um, You know, they've they've taken the trouble to to know, you know, that people's um, hearts have stopped, their nervous system stopped, you know, they've got the evidence for that. Yes, yes. And yet, you know, they've also carefully got the evidence of you know of from 
what people relate afterwards. Yeah, mm. not everybody who, for example, has um, a heart attack—that's when heart attack when the heart stops stops beating. Not everybody will re will report a near death experience. It tends to be a minority, but a significant minority. Mm. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder why some report it and some don't. I don't think anybody knows. I don't think I don't think he knows either. Some do, yeah. And there are also, you know, different almost levels of it. Yeah. Some people re report a little bit. Some people report various aspects of um, the of the near death experience. Yes. Mm. And and there are some quite astonishing aspects to it. Um, you know, and, it, and uh, if I read these accounts, um, the, what they remind me of is the Tibetan Book of the Dead and um, Bardo Todo and um, what's described in there. Yeah. Um, it's... Maybe you should say a few words about the Tibetan Book of the Dead for any uh, viewers who don't know what that is. Yeah, it, well, it's a Tibetan text about the importance of practice putting your practice um into effect while you're in the process of dying mm. yes mm. um and helping somebody a practitioner die properly so that they can use the opportunity of being being in what's called the in-between state the bardo mm. so they can make the best choices in that state yeah. mm. And so if you are one of those Western Buddhists who simply don't and won't believe in rebirth, it's out of court, the <laughs> Tibetan Book of the Dead presumably has absolutely nothing to say to you. <laughs> well, interesting. Well, I suppose one thing it could say is um, the importance of practice <laughs> in this life. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. you know, I, the point being that... Um, that he emphasizes is the importance of practice so that you can use what is a very, can be a very positive, very um, useful opportunity that arises in the process of dying in order to become enlightened. Yes. yes. Um, because as um, people who have these near death experiences describe, or some of them describe, um, there can be an extraordinary experiences that happen during that process hmm. um, which you know the bardo todol is um, emphasizing one takes advantage of to make to make the right choices Yes. Uh, just returning for a moment to Van Pommel is it is that his name Pim Van Lommel Oh well, I got that wrong uh, I think yeah. I know a little bit about him and I think he said that hmm. before he investigated these near near-death experiences, he definitely didn't believe in rebirth. Am I remembering that correctly? I can't remember now precisely what he was. I know he, as a, you know, he wasn't religious, so you know, he, yeah. he, was, he was just investigating because... The, well, I, yeah. the reason I mention that is because I find it admirable of him to notice something that his patients are telling him and take it seriously enough to really look into it and he didn't discard it immediately whereas some of the scientists you're mentioning who would you know i said to you do you think scientists would accept that you said well they'd find ways around it so that suggests <laughs> that they're almost they've made up their mind before they've really investigated it well yes i suppose one could say that there is a 
There has been for quite a long time uh, a materialist, I was going to say ideology, but perhaps that's a bit too strong, but a materialist belief system which mm. grew up really from the sort of 19th century onwards. And I understand as a sort of reaction to theism when people were beginning to give up theism, well, physical sciences were on the rise. So people took physical sciences very seriously, um, but perhaps they went too far. You know, because physical science can seem to explain the physical world very well. They, they, they then jumped from that to assuming there's nothing in the in the world in the universe except the physical world. Mm. Yeah, and that's a, that's a jump in log in logic. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, when I was a young member of the Tree Ratna Buddhist Order teaching beginners. Uh, meditation that occasionally we'd have scientists coming along or people have read a paper by a scientist and in those days we're talking 40 years ago uh, there was no interest from science in meditation it was just gobbledygook you know etc <laughs> etc et but now uh, probably because of the rise of secular mindfulness scientists are really interested in it and they say oh yeah it works and they can see it in the brain they <laughs> they Put these things on people's heads to, so they can watch brain activity. They say, "Oh, it really works." Yes, but we knew that from our own experience forty years ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. So uh, now uh, I know you've got. I, I read one of. I reread one of your chapters in your book yesterday, chapter five, um, the restricted choice. You called it. And uh, you go into how materialism can't actually explain the existence of consciousness. So can you say something about that for us? Right. <laughs> this is where one has to be um, very logical. Uh, okay. I will and... try to follow. <laughs> okay. And one has to sort of clarify what one means by consciousness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, consciousness can mean various different things. For this, you know, to explain what it cannot explain, I talk about sense consciousness in particular. And by sense consciousness, I mean the actual phenomena that you experience, the sounds and smells, the visual images that you're, you're experiencing here and now. Yes, all those, yes, you know, sort of visual consciousness, the contents of visual consciousness, of sort of tactile, kinesthetic consciousness, and, and so on, yeah. And it's important to focus on um, sense consciousness because it can take you along the path to realising that materialism cannot explain it. Okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> in, in a logical way, you don't have to have any evidence of um, rebirth or near-death experiences. You, you just sort of realise that um, that materialism, there comes a point that it, it can't explain. Yeah. And it's been actually called by a philosopher called David Chalmers, the hard problem of consciousness. Yeah. Mm. And what I say is, you know, the hard problem of consciousness can never be solved by materialism. Yeah. 
And the card prop, well, you've got to understand, first of all, what sort of sense consciousness actually is. And that's difficult enough in itself because we have, we seem to have automatic assumptions, for example, that the contents of our sense consciousness, that's the actual visual images I'm experiencing, um, sounds, etc. We actually automatically go about the world assuming that they're not my images of the world, they're the world itself. Yeah. Mm. You know, but if I were to close my eyes, you know, I'd stop having an image of you, but the image on the screen wouldn't have gone out of existence. Yeah. The image of you is still there, I assumed, and Stirinander would be able to tell me that. Yeah. I can't see it because my image is gone, because my eyes were closed. Yeah. So the image is in my stream of consciousness. Are you with me? It's not in the world out there. I am. I am. Yep. Just just let me say for the yep. viewers that Stephen Ando is your sound engineer and he's, oh, yeah. he's close by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm following you so far, yes. Yeah. So so it's important to realise that the sort of the um contents of sense consciousness are within my within my sense consciousness. They're not actually the world itself. Although, of course, it's a virtual image of the world, you know, with different dimensions, visual and tactile and so on, yeah? So um, you're not saying that the world outside doesn't exist? Oh, no, yeah. Okay. But I'm saying my visual, my image of it is not the outside world. It's my image of it, and that image exists within my sense consciousness. You would be so far, right? Yeah, that's easy <laughs> yeah. to understand. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, it it it's interesting because it 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 gets gets confusing. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Okay. So the next question arises is, so the materialist will say, well, that image comes about. Um, you know, say a visual image comes about because, well. Particles of light are hitting my eyes and uh, getting turned into nerve signals that go up to parts of my brain. Okay. And the materialist will say, ah, that visual image, well, they, they use ex expressions that I, I call the materialist fudge these days. Yeah. Um, because they're, they're vague. <laughs> yeah. They would go something like this. Yeah. They would say, well, that visual image, it's either got to be part of the functioning of the brain or it arises because of the functioning of the brain. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's all down to the brain and its brain activity. Okay. That's the sort of explanation. Now it's a very poor explanation. Yeah. And you're yeah. going to tell us why it's poor yeah. in a moment. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. That's why I call it the fudge, yeah. Okay. So, so it, sound, it sounds okay to me. <clears throat> so far it sounds like, yeah, of course the brain is doing that. Yeah, but okay. So if I'm, for example, experiencing a pain, yeah, um, if a neurosurgeon were to somehow look in my brain, would he find the pain? Yeah. Or if I were experiencing a smell, would a sort of smell drift out of my brain that actually parts of my brain have actually turned into a smell? Yeah. Unlikely. Well, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Or um, turned into a visual image. 
But if you're saying that um, the contents of sense experience are aspects of brain functioning, then take that literally and logically. It means that parts of your brain are turning into those, um, those qualia, as they cause. Yeah, uh -huh. literally. But but of course they're not, <laughs> you know. All you do find if you were trying to get inside the brain was the, you know, lots of patterns of neural activity, yeah, of um, of particles going in and out of nerve synapses and, and so on, yeah. You know, the question is, well, you, you don't find smells, you don't find colours, yeah, um, you don't find sounds there, you just find those patterns of activity, yeah. So to say that the um, contents of sense experience are aspects of brain functioning is just nonsense. Yeah. Uh, but uh, let me just <laughs> challenge you a bit on that because yep. uh, uh, yet the brain is doing something. Oh, so yes. It's, it's absolutely essential to oh, yeah. this process. Well, near-death experience would say it's not essential some of the time. At least. Oh, yeah, I've forgotten that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, when we're experiencing a normal waking consciousness, now I'm pretty sure you could find correlations between patterns of brain activity and certain types of um, sense experience. So if I'm smelling the smell of a rose, um, you know, I, I suspect um, there would be a pattern of brain activity in certain networks of neurons in my brain that correlates with that, that somehow helping bring that experience into being, yeah? Really? And there'll be a different set of, um, of neurons involved in bringing out the experience of the colour blue, so, mm. yeah? Um, I, I'm, you know, I suspect you know neuroscience continues its work. It will be able to identify, to some extent, such patterns. Yeah, but then you're still nowhere near the explaining why those patterns bring out, say, a smell or a colour. Yeah, mm. you know, why should particular pattern of um, activity in a certain network of brain cells give rise to the experience of a smell and another pattern give rise to the experience of a sound yeah mm. that's the hard problem yeah you still got a very long way to go to explain it in fact you haven't explained it at all all you're showing is there's a, a correlation you know um and that mm. somehow that that um, pattern of activity gives rise to the experience whilst you're in the ordinary waking state. Um, but that's as far as you can go. You know, it, you know, why should a particular pattern give rise to a smell rather than a, a colour or whatever, or a pain? Yeah. Um, okay, so um, apart from those near-death experiences where the brain isn't working, uh, it seems that the experiences we have are in some sense, if not dependent on the brain they're connected to brain activity so uh i suppose what you're going to say is we don't know how that works that's a hard problem but is there more to say about that yeah yes well it's important important to say yeah, to 
A typical logical error that's made is to go from the fact that um, okay, when we're when we at least when we're awake, certain brain activity gives rise to certain types of sense experience. Okay, yeah, that's one thing to say, but that gets confused with certain type of um, physical activity is completely responsible for that experience yeah mm. yeah 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 the the analogy i draw i use here is the analogy of um say a television yeah if a television is tuned into a particular broadcasting station then what appears on the television screen is closely correlated with the activity you know, that's being broadcast by that broadcasting station, okay? <laughs> However, you do need an independent television set to actually see it, yeah? Yeah, there's an independently existing television set, yeah? Mm -hmm. the, uh, the activity of the broadcasting company can't bring into, out of thin air, uh, you know, pictures yeah you've got to have the independently existing television set yeah likewise i say consciousness can be tuned in to our nervous system to our brain and when it whilst it's tuned in to our brain yeah what happens in the brain can give rise to aspects of our sense consciousness but you still need the independently existing sense consciousness mind for in order for that to happen. Yeah. Does, okay. So in that, that in that sense? analogy, then the, yeah. uh, the television is our is the television our brain or is the the television uh, the television is our mind, our consciousness, uh, including our sense consciousness. And yes. the broadcaster is the brain. Is the brain? Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah, and then yeah. you've got the viewer of the television. Does that come in, or does that is that take <laughs> well? That takes us. That takes us to the non-dual nature of sense consciousness, which is a different issue. <laughs> is it too early to go into that? Or we <laughs> well, it, it it is. It is something that that also um, causes difficulty. It's a difficult thing to to think about. Yeah, and um, it, it, it's. It goes to the nature of consciousness, the nature of sense consciousness itself. Um, what would you like me to go into it now? Well, I'd like you to go into it at some point, and yeah. partly I should tell viewers that your name actually means non-dual mind, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. yeah. So I, I do want you to talk about it sometime, but there may be other aspects of consciousness and rebirth that you prefer to go into right now. I don't um, know. Well, well, perhaps as we've gone there, I'll, I'll, I'll go into I'll go into it. Yes, because okay. it, it it does relate to our you know arguments against the existence of consciousness that have been used by materialists yeah but if we go to the nature of sense consciousness say the nature of visual consciousness for example yeah um now is there anybody as it were a, a sort of inner me that's sort of watching a sort of screen of what's happening in my visual consciousness yeah my visual consciousness is a bit like a 
you know, a, a, a screen, you know, a bit like a 3D um, cinema screen, which, which actually is actually made to imitate it, yeah? But is there a little me, a sort of little numbskull, as it were, if you remember the cartoon creatures? I do, I do. Yeah, who's sitting there sort of separate from the um, visual consciousness watching it, yeah? Hmm. Yeah. The point is there isn't, yeah? Visual consciousness, you could say, is an aware space, yeah, in which you know visual images arise yeah but the what is observed and what and the observer are not two separate things yeah yeah non-dual in other words not not divided yeah mm -hmm. um it, it's like the sort of nature of consciousness is this sort of non-dual aware space yeah um that, that that can be an important one to um get hold of for all sorts of reasons yeah um before we go any further i just want to ask you a question uh you said you know you can imagine that there's an, another being like a numbskull watching what's going on and you said there isn't that's a strong assertion how do we know there isn't <laughs> well you, you get to the um you, you get to a, a, an aunt an argument about infinite regression. If you've got a little numbskull inside watching the visual screen, so does the little numbskull have its own internal processes going on with its own internal images? Ah, yeah. like it, the cover of uh, a Pink Floyd album. Possibly, <laughs> yeah. And Just then, getting back and back and back. Exactly, yeah. And then one in, one in that and one inside, inside. You go on forever, yeah. Mm, and mm. actually a materialist... Um, Daniel Dennett has used this argument to say there's no such thing as sense consciousness at all, no such things as these mm. internal images, yeah? Mm. You know, because you get to this infinite regress, he argues. There's always got to be somebody who's sitting watching it and inside them has got to be the same thing, yeah? <laughs> and I say that you got it wrong, mate. You know, it's... Uh, the nature of sense consciousness is non-dual. Yeah, mm. there isn't a separate observer. Yeah, it is. It is like, as it were, an aware space. You know, and of course, aspects of Buddhist tradition do talk in these terms about the nature of consciousness. You know, a space of awareness. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yes. So that's it. Is it on that particular <laughs> topic? Um, as, as much as I can think of at the moment. <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, let's see, what else would I like to hear from you? Mm. Um, I've gone to that one. Uh, on dual. I think we've got, covered most issues, actually. There's maybe one more. You say uh, you've written a few things to me, a few notes. You say there is good evidence of the non-material nature of sense consciousness. Oh, you, you've covered yeah. that, I think, yeah. already? Yeah. yeah. Um, you do say there, in contrast, stories of supposed previous lives obtained under hypnosis are not usually credible. Mm. So before I ask you why, I'll just say that I once did a, a hypnotherapy course, mm. and one of the things that Valerie did, who was leading it, she regressed people back into previous yeah. lives. Yeah. And I watched her do it with someone, and it was remarkably um, effective it was very convincing because the woman who's an ordinary, she's just like an ordinary woman. She worked in a bank. She started talking in a very different accent 
and she was describing what seemed to be an English village somewhere. Um, it, it was very convincing, I must say. Yeah, yeah. I I think the problem with them is that there can be very little supportive evidence, unlike the stories of children. Yeah, mm. and one's got to be aware that um, how can I put it? Hypnotherapy uses suggestion, and it can be a very powerful thing. Yeah, um, so somebody can suggest something, and lo and behold, you experience it. Shall we say? But mm. Doesn't mean to say it actually happened, yeah. Um, um, and and um, I think this, this sort of quality of the evidence in in that area, when it's looked at, is is poor. There's there's very little to um, to support, you know, the um, described previous lives. Yeah, I think there's a, there was a an investigative journalist, Tom Schroeder, I think it was his name, who wanted to start out looking at that, that stuff and was very unimpressed. And then he learnt about the um, work of Ian Stevenson and for a while accompanied Stevenson around the world on his investigations. Mm. And instead of being sceptical, he came to realise the quality of the evidence my goodness in, in contrast to the to the other yes yes um there's one more thing i'd like to ask you about actually which is um you've shown that actually consciousness is not tied to the brain in in, in the way that materialists say it is uh but then there's the issue of rebirth and is it possible to have a, a view or is it possible that it's true that okay we agree that consciousness is not aspect of the brain in the materialist sense but does that necessarily lead to the belief in rebirth ah yeah well it doesn't necessarily yes because i suppose it could leave logically to all sorts of possibilities yeah um but as i say there well there is evidence so <laughs> which, so yeah which, that's which, what... which, 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 which helps i suppose the the other thing is to think about it logically is um for example my physical body is made up of atoms etc yeah now when i physically die those atoms don't become non-existent yeah mm. my body decays but the bits of it don't disappear into nothing yeah there is a sort of continue physical continuity going on yeah mm. um you could say sort of likewise you know um and also when my when i'm born or when i'm conceived physical things that make up start making up my body don't come from nowhere they're all pre-existing atoms and things you could say well similarly dealing with consciousness um perhaps it's sensible to to think that consciousness doesn't suddenly arise out of nothing yeah there are pre-existing aspects of consciousness before you were born that come together shall we say to to, to be you along with your physical body and that after death they will continue in some way that's actually quite logical if you think about it yeah. Mm. rather than consciousness suddenly coming out of nothing yeah and then disappearing into nothing yeah, and, uh, well, how's, how's that happening of course the whole thing you know talking about the whole thing you have to realize 
that what we know about consciousness in a way is minute. You know, we, we, this, this is something extraordinary, actually, when, when we start thinking about it. You know, of course, in the West, um, in particular, well, the world over now, we've come to understand the physical world much more through science. Yeah. But that doesn't mean to say that we necessarily understand the nature of consciousness one iota. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, indeed, yeah. indeed. I have one last question for you, yeah. which is uh, at the beginning of the interview, I said, I gave, I told the story of talking to you a few days ago and I said, I believe in rebirth and oh, I yeah. thought you gave me a look, suggesting <laughs> there's more to it than that. So uh, uh, I, I believe in rebirth because the Buddha taught it. Yeah. Um, You've obviously got a lot more reasons to believe in it. So, would you so would you go so far as to say that you don't believe in rebirth? You're convinced that it's truth because of science, because of logic, and so on. Um, con convinced. I, I would put it that I would be very surpri very surprised if it wasn't true. Yes, because yeah. who knows what evidence. One, one might come across in the future to completely change one's opinion, yeah? But I would be very surprised, yeah? Very mm. surprised. I think it's logical and there is evidence to support it, yeah? Mm. Okay, very good. Thank you so much, Advaita. It's been really, really enjoyable talking to you and uh, really um, just give me a lot to think about and I'll follow up some of those leads. Let, let's just go through them again. The first one was Stevenson, wasn't it? What's Ian name? Stevenson, yes. Uh, any books that one can buy? Um, there is a book by him. I forget what it's called now. It's it's quite old. The person to read about actually about Stevenson's work is Jim Tucker, uh -huh. who worked with him. And Jim Tucker's written a book about him. Hang on. I yeah. Jim, I think, which describes um, Ian Stevenson's work. It's called Life Before Life. I've heard of that. I've yeah. heard of that book. And Jim Tucker's also done another book since then, which is about some a few specific cases in America called Return to Life. And that's a very good book to read as well. Uh -huh. And then there was Hommel, was it, the Dutchman? Pim van Lommel. Yeah. Lommel, no, I'll Pim never van get Lommel. it right. Here, here's the book, Con Consciousness Beyond Life by Pim, ah, van, Pim okay. van Lommel. Okay. Well, well, well worth reading. Um, it, it goes into things in, in great detail. You know, Pim van Lommel is very interesting. You know, it's a very scientific approach at the beginning, very careful beginning um but later on in the book he starts you know wondering about what are the implications of this if consciousness isn't explainable in physical terms gosh you know mm. <laughs> how can we start thinking about it mm. uh, and he 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 goes into that that's also interesting too um as somebody who you know who's not tied to any particular philosophical or religious um, tradition you know he he comes up with lots of interesting ideas and looks at different traditions and explanations so again it's well worth reading as well mm, wonderful so thank you again Navajita, for your time right my pleasure <laughs> and we'll say goodbye now okay goodbye <laughs> bye bye <laughs>